0: could have done much better at school had I applied myself. Yeah. As soon as I went to college, I was top of the class straight away, yeah, yeah. just because I was excited and passionate. Yeah, so
1: there's a natural intelligence there, right? It's not about intelligence. It's about passion, Yeah. focus, mm. leading you to a point of wanting to learn about that topic, right?
0: Yeah, I have to be, I have to want to do it, to excel at it. Yeah. If I don't, I'd just, I'd struggle, I'd just dismiss it.
1: Welcome guys to another episode of Founder Stories. I'm super excited about our guest this week. We have a very special guest, Mr. Paul Foster. He's a Michelin star chef. I think I'm saying that right, Michelin. Yeah, yeah there's a few ways of saying it. <laughs> uh, he's the head chef at his restaurant in Stratford-upon-Avon, Salt. Not only that, he's a published author, he appears regularly on TV, so he's going to be teaching me about presenting skills and how to do this podcasting thing. He teaches people how to cook food properly through his salt cookery school. And for me, it's really interesting that it's not just having an impact on people that come to the restaurant, but he has a reach further than that because he has an online platform, the Salt Masterclass, which re- you know it teaches regular people how to cook extraordinary food. I made that up myself, so you might want to steal that. I thought that was quite good. So welcome to to the podcast. Thanks for coming down.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: Yeah, my pleasure. And we're in my dining room now, which doubles up as a podcast studio, which my wife is uh, just about forgiving me for.
0: Yeah, it's nice. No sound in here at all. It's quiet. Perfect room for it. I've sent everyone out. The dog's
1: gone. (laughs) The wife's gone. The kids are at the grandparents. Um, So just a bit of background for you as well. You know, Founder Stories is about helping entrepreneurs and business owners with insight and practical steps so i listen to diary of a ceo a mm-hmm. lot and other podcasts like peter crouch entertaining podcasts but the bigger they get the higher the guests get and the less relatable they get to me kind of yeah a normal person mm-hmm. so i wanted to interview successful people like yourself but actually get practical steps insight not just it be a higher level conversation where you come away from that and say yeah i'm inspired and i'm mm-hmm you know i'm i'm motivated to go and do work but you don't have any practical tips to take back so restaurant owners and chefs you know at the moment the failure rate of i don't know whether you know this but the failure rate of of uh, new restaurants is 80 percent in the first year yeah which is incredible it is it's very high and so like from this i just want to get a bit of an insight into what's made you successful you know what's been different try and really understand what's different about you Mm -hmm. than the other chefs out there that haven't been able to fulfill their potential? Because I feel like you're at the level where you are fulfilling your potential. Yeah, You probably, I know you're kind of a similar person to me. You're never going to feel like you're fulfilling (laughs) your potential, but from the outside in, you've done so well, you should be proud. And so what can we learn from your story that other restaurant owners, chefs, or even people thinking about moving away from working mm. to having their own thing can, can take from that. So that's the long introduction. Let's start <laughs> with you. My first question is, what's your earliest memory of cooking and wanting,
0: you know, and enjoying it and wanting to do more of it? It was when I was 10, like genuinely. I, I said when I was 10, I want to be a chef. I didn't know anything about the industry. I didn't know anything about like how you know, brutal it is, how challenging it is. But I loved just cooking and so I grew up in pubs, so I've always been in hospitality my whole life. So I, I kind of, I like the feel and the environment of it. Um, but I started baking cakes when I was like 10 and they were terrible, to be honest. But I think people were humouring me. They're always nice and light, but I'd cover them in all sorts of funky coloured icing, <laughs> yeah. And then I'd sell them to the bouncers downstairs because my mum and dad had live music venues, so it was dormant. So your parents owned a pub? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. When I was younger. Yeah. We had, we had a few over like 10 years. And, um, so I'd sell them to them and it was just, it was just seeing that expression from people smile when they've eaten something you've created. And it's such a simple transaction, but it meant a lot to me at that age. And then I was always in the kitchen downstairs with the cook and with my mom when she was cooking and, you know, for the customers. And I just buzzed off it and I just wanted to, wanted to learn more. So that when my parents split up when I was 15, I took it upon myself to make all the, the family dinners every night um, and just, just be that kind of responsible. And I think that's where my leadership's always come from, of just, I'll take that on, I'll do that.
1: Yeah. And yeah. So, for your family, who are your closest people,
0: yeah. and seeing their
1: reaction to what new things that you're mm-hmm. creating. Were you experimenting with your uh, own dishes and things like that? that I
0: was, or? yeah. I got my first cookbook when I was 13, it was Gary Rhodes, Rhodes around Britain. I used to have my hair like him and everything. <laughs> and um, I'd try and replicate some of the dishes, but they were too complicated for me at that stage when I was like 13. But, yeah. you know, I gave it my best shot. And then you try, try and go off-piste, but you don't have the foundations to go off-piste. Yeah. But that's, that's, where you, that's where you start to learn. But that created excitement. It was like, this world's endless. There's so much you can do with food. Yeah. And it just inspired me more. Yeah, that's
1: incredible. I didn't realize I read your story, did some research. We know each other, obviously, Mm -hmm. but I didn't realize it was from such an early age Mm. that you actually knew that you wanted to do it. Kind of like my kids are eight and seven now. Yeah, And right now it's all about football. They love football. That's it. And I know they'll do that right through to say 18. Mm. If they make it, they make it. If they don't, they don't. They've got their education on the side, but they know. And for you, it's not football it's cooking
0: cooking, yeah and I was never I loved sport but I never I was never that good at football and I accepted that quite early um and then I was never very academic I was always sort of bottom to middle of class I wasn't um um for want of a better phrase stupid yeah but I just never I was just never engaged with it. I was mm-hmm. never interested. I could have done much better at school had I applied myself. Yeah. As soon as I went to college, I was top of the class straight away, yeah. Yeah. just because I was excited and passionate. Yeah, so there's
1: a natural intelligence there, right? It's not about intelligence. It's about passion, Yeah. focus, mm. leading you to a point of wanting to learn about that topic, right?
0: Yeah, I have to be... I have to want to do it to excel at it. Yeah. If I don't, I'd just I'd struggle. I'd just dismiss it. It's really interesting because Kieran
1: and I were, my wife, we were at dinner last night and we were talking about my kids have started. Um, this is where I have a list of questions and end up not talking not talking <laughs> about any of them. <laughs> best, right, <way>, yeah. <laughs> they, were, um, they were drawing. So they've got into drawing because she does art class. Mm. And so they found these videos on YouTube uh, where they watch the video and then they draw. And they're actually really good. Yeah. But it's become an obsession. So they wake up, they want to draw. Uh, nice. You know, they're replacing everything with drawing. They're producing a stack of papers that they want me to keep all of them. <laughs> and she's like, should we try? And I think we should try and say to them, you don't have to be so obsessed. And uh, to me, I was straight away trying to say to her, listen, you need to encourage this obsession. Because mm. if you look at anyone that's successful in life, they find something yeah. that they're really passionate about and they become obsessed with it. Yeah. Yeah you know, and that's what leads them to work long hours and find solutions to problems and not give up because they're obsessed. Right.
0: Exactly. Right. And, you know, my daughters are same with her art and school is obviously incredibly important, but if they, if they aren't natural with school and academia, if you're pushing it on them, they're only going to revert and go the opposite way. Yeah. You've got to reiterate the importance of that, but, Follow their passions because I think through life, and it's the same with me with my business now, I think sometimes we focus too much on our weaknesses and push ourselves through them. Whereas sometimes you just got to accept that that's not me. Yeah. I'm going to focus on my strengths. And that's where I've succeeded. Yeah, and yeah, other yeah. people in my business are better than better at me than some of the things at I'm doing. So they do that. Yeah, I focus on what I'm good like at and what passionate about. Bookings,
1: for example, and you're, you're yeah. cooking and looking at a menu. I totally agree. I mean, I talk about, I do a speech where I talk about a business being a wheel with spokes on it. Mm-hmm. And so... You want all of those spokes. If you so the middle is zero, the outside of the spoke, a full spoke is 10. Yeah. If that makes sense, that analogy. <laughs> yeah. In yeah. my head, I can see it. Right? Yeah, I get it. So if they're all tens, you've got a large-size bike, it can accelerate quickly, it's got a high top speed. If some of them are twos and threes, you basically can't move. Yeah. So as a business, as a restaurant, you do need to work on your weaknesses. But what's a really good point that you've made that I probably confuse people with sometimes? is you shouldn't be the one working on those yeah. if they're not in your zone of genius. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. That's exactly. really
0: good. When we opened the business, we were we were so small. I was doing everything and I was failing at a lot of things. Yeah. Um, and all that does is just builds up negativity in your head that you're, you're doing a bad job and you're no good at this. Yeah. But and you're I was, overwhelmed as well, probably. Yeah, exactly. I, I knew I was... I knew I was a really good cook. I'd never ran a business. I had a lot of anxiety about running a business. Didn't yep. think I could. Um, but I was trying to do a head chef job and run the restaurant and the business and try and do admin and accounts. Yep. Admin and accounts is my weakest um, weakest part of the business, for yep. me personally. Um, and I was just burning out. I was just not in a good place. And all I was thinking was I'm failing at this because I was focused on the things I was struggling at rather than focused on what I'm good at.
1: So that'd be a bit of advice. I mean, that was going to come later, but I mean, it's really good. It's a bit of advice for people that aren't necessarily fulfilling their potential, Mm. are restaurant owners or chefs and are feeling overwhelmed. Try and look at what your two or three key strengths are or even one Mm. and try and hire or get help from family and friends or depending on your level of monetary, you know, your monetary situation, whether you can afford to hire or whether you need to sort of beg, borrow, and steal, help. Yeah. Don't do the 10 things yourself. Pick the two or three things and then mm-hmm. think about outsourcing everything else, right? Exactly. Just sort of reversing back a bit. So you went to college and you did
0: culinary? Did, yeah, catering at college, okay. yeah. From there,
1: if you read your story, it's quite incredible. Obviously, I'm not going to go through it now. I want this to be more about you and what was different. mm mm-hmm. How did you get those opportunities? Do you think that it was natural talent or do you think that it was hard work? Because you went from, you know, cookery school, college, straight to, well, maybe not straight to, but pretty soon working in some famous restaurants Mm -hmm. under some famous chefs, traveling the world, getting opportunities that other people would sort of die for. Yeah. How did you make that transition between someone at college
0: to getting those opportunities? I think it was just, I think that, the confidence breeds confidence that like I was incredibly shy as a kid, wouldn't speak to anyone. And I think because at school I sort of struggled, I never really found my thing. I wouldn't talk to girls, that sort of thing. Yeah. But as soon as I got to college and I started doing well, because I, yeah, I did have a natural talent for it, but most of it is hard work. Okay. Genuinely. I don't believe it. it's like I'm, I'm special as a cook. I think most people can, you know, achieve a high level if yeah. you put the hard work and yeah. make the right choices. Um, so being confident in that and getting having a good relationship with my lecturers and then you could see what opportunities there were. And I was nervous about making that step, but I went into a good restaurant, excelled there and then it's like, well, I, c- I could probably do the next step. And then yeah. I took those steps quickly and then by the time I was 19, I was at Raymond Blanc's uh, Le Manoir Cat Saison. Yeah, which is, but were you, this is what I'm so interested in. Were you proactively reaching out to
1: that restaurant? Yeah. Like how, okay, so that's where it comes down to it's, hard work, it, determination, courage. Yeah, put yourself out there.
0: And I've always had from a, as a teenager, nobody is going to do this for you. You yeah. have to do it yourself. Whatever industry you're in, yeah, you, nobody's going to open a business for you and you know make you rich or make you famous or make yeah. you successful. Yeah, you have to do it yourself. Nobody's yeah. going to. I know that sounds incredibly simple, but it's easy to forget. No, that. and I
1: think it's 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 so is such good advice. If I look at, I always bring things back to my kids because my kids are basically everything and every yeah. analogy I have is my kids. I've got two, the eight-year-old, for some reason, flipped a switch in him. If you put him on a football pitch, he's like an animal. Mm. He doesn't think about, oh, I'm going to take this shot and I'm going to miss and what are the crowd going to think anymore? Yeah. He doesn't care. Yeah. He just runs around like a nutcase and he's come He's on, lost that fear of much. failure. Yeah. Was it? yeah. Whereas the little one, probably more technically able Mm -hmm. but once he gets on the pitch and once there are parents watching and if we're in a cup final and all these things Mm -hmm. you know he's playing at 70 percent yeah because he doesn't want to put himself out there for fear of rejection would Mm -hmm. be your scenario but for him it's perceived failure and embarrassment yeah you know if he's practicing a drill in the garden and he gets it wrong he gets a look on his face like I'm embarrassed, all that silly, sort of nervously smiles. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to beat, not physically,
0: but <laughs> beat that out of it. Yeah. yeah, I know what you mean. Because you have to fail forward, right? Yeah, you have to. You have to know that failing's not that bad sometimes. To, yeah. it, the fear is worse sometimes than actually failing, isn't it? You know, depending on the levels of failure, obviously. But yeah. you need to experience it. You know, it's important to know, like, well, I'll pick myself up last time. So... You yeah, know, you I can, can reference, you yeah, can
1: reference in your life points where you succeeded. Yeah. To give you confidence. Like I've spoken on stage before in front of X amount of people. If I'm getting nervous now, don't worry. You've done it before. Or if you failed and learned, mm. what did you learn from that? So keep failing again. I think, yeah, too much in business owners, which will apply to chefs and restaurants. There's not enough failure. I mean, I fail basically on a daily basis mm. and get things wrong all the time. 12 years into running the business, not with delivering client work, but with. All sorts of things you're thinking about. I was watching um, the new Michael Jordan movie last night. Air. Oh, yeah. I'd recommend it. It's really oh, good. good. I want to
0: watch that. Yeah. But they talk
1: about that he was the first deal where they did a revenue share on the trainers. Ah, uh, okay. And then you start to think about, oh, well, maybe, you know, some of our best clients, we could be working with them on a more close basis and they could be ambassadors and you start to get these ideas. And so that might not work. It might mm-hmm. fail, but you've got to try different things all the time.
0: Yeah. And, it, you know, I'll always tell my younger chefs and I'll always tell, you know, I did a speech at a school a few years ago in Stratford about how important adversity is and you need that. You need to understand that, you know, when you are faced with a challenge, if you walk away from it, that becomes, that becomes part of you. So the next challenge you get... You walk away from it again. You're creating a habit. You're creating this habit of walking away from challenges and not being able to get over hurdles. And every time you get through adversity, you just have this learned behavior of, well, I've got through this. Yeah. So I can get through that. Yeah. And it's subconscious, a lot of it. And a lot of that with me came from Le Manoir. It's the toughest kitchen I've ever worked in. It was brutal at the time. Um, You know, there was a lot of... Um, verbal and physical bullying going on. And, you and know, you're know, working
1: as a junior in there. Yeah. And, you know, witnessed a lot of things that were Chopping and horrific things, yeah.
0: And I stuck with it. I never stuck, I stuck with it through, it wasn't through stubbornness and it wasn't through, through grit of I'm going to beat this. It was, I thought I would be a failure if I left. Yeah. I thought because my family had a big leaving party for me when I moved down to yeah. Oxford. I thought, well, I failed then. So I stuck through it through that. But it has paid in dividends in the fact that I've always had this attitude of if I can get through that, yeah. I can do anything yeah. within reason. Yeah, and I think that's such
1: a big takeaway. So if you are struggling, and David Goggins talks about this a lot. I'm not sure if you've listened to him or read his books, but mm, yeah. he's an ultra runner. Um, he was overweight. Massively overweight, working as a pest controller, going in and having to kill rats and things like that. Oh, okay. Just a dead end job. Yeah. Lived with his parents, had no money, lived on junk food, and then mm-hmm. just decided and woke up one day. Do you know what? I'm going to become a Navy SEAL. Wow. And then over the period of yeah, two years, changed his whole life around, I had to go through the SEAL application process three times, mm-hmm. where they basically almost kill you. Yeah. Became a SEAL. And now he just regularly runs ultramarathons. He's running 100 miles. 500 miles miles he ran one race uh he basically had like a broken knee he was um blood coming out of his bodily holes Mm. and just carried on through the whole thing because now he seeks out adversity speaks a lot about seeking out adversity Mm -hmm. i just think it's important to understand that and i think some of our listeners being that they're not necessarily going to be entrepreneurs and into that space of self-development and learning and listening Mm. to people like David Goggins if you just take a small amount of what we're talking about and apply it through and see yourself like do you see yourself as an entrepreneur now more
0: I I do more now it took me a while too yeah yeah Yeah, I I think so um I think I was always like my issue was always and this would be interesting for people that you we put people up on a pedestal like this david goggins yeah. if you'd have said to him when he was living with his mom and dad doing pest control and overweight yeah in x amount of years time you'll be running 100 um mile marathons or look yeah. at this guy what he's doing yeah it would seem completely unachievable yeah because we do we put you know i used to put all these chefs i looked up to on a pedestal and almost respect them too much yeah like people they're a god, a god. i can't do that yeah. And trust me, you can. You know, yeah. I just come from you know working class background and you know nice upbringing. No major adversity. No, well, I wasn't spoiled. Just kind of in the middle. Yeah. Um, and if I'd have not followed this path, who knows what I'd be doing? But yeah. it just it just shows that ev- everyone can everyone can do it if you apply mm. yourself.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Hard work and dedication is everything. I talk a lot to myself about confidence, consistency. Mm. And it's just even when the days when you feel like you're not moving forward, if you're just getting in the kitchen,
0: yeah. You are moving
1: forward because you're there.
0: Exactly. And you've got to accept the fact that you are going to have times like that. And times where you feel a bit flat and deflated and the business might not be going the exact route, but you're still there. You're yeah. still trading, you're still going through it. You know, you can't be, you know, a hundred percent motivated every single day. Yeah. It's important that you're going back there and you're still going.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And tell me about your. So in those first few years, what happened in the transition from, I guess, let's go back a little bit. What, why did you get started with opening your own restaurant? And why did you leave the comfort that some people would feel from working as a chef within a kitchen that's owned by someone else, where they're taking on all the responsibility of branding, marketing? How do you get people through the door? How do you make sure they're happy? Billing, you know, pricing yeah sourcing materials you know everything that goes with the business finances bookkeeping legals <laughs> all of that stress
0: i, th- I think to, to be completely honest a lot of that i was probably a little bit oblivious to in a sense which is a good thing yeah because that would have scared me even more um i knew i knew i was a good cook i knew i could handle a kitchen i mm-hmm. knew i could cook to a certain standard and i knew i was a good leader um and i was just as a head chef in two really good operations I was just frustrated that uh, I couldn't take it my own way. And to be honest, I'm not a very good employee because I'm challenging. Yeah. Because I always want to be better. I always want to improve. So I'd always challenge my managers. Yeah. and And do you like being told what to do? No. I think this is consistent. Everyone that I've had on so far,
1: including myself, I hate being told what to do.
0: Yeah, even if I know they're right, I struggle with it. <laughs>
1: yeah, 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 yeah. I think that's probably the number one key point when people start their own businesses. Yeah. We don't want to be told what to do. We think we know best. Mm.
0: Most of the time we do. And and I know that if I, you know, I automate I'd ultimately make all the decisions operationally and on other levels within the business. Yeah. And I'm, 99% of the time it's the right decision. And when it's not, it's... I'm fine with it. I can accept yeah. that I've made the wrong decision. Yeah. I can hold my hands up. I'm not going to be defensive, um, but I know. And again, that's why I was frustrated because the decisions I wanted to make around everything around the businesses I worked in, I knew they were much better decisions and it would take us forward. And you just felt like you hold back and you, you held back and you penned in. So I needed that freedom. You feel like you've got this potential, yes, but you're
1: not realizing it. Like I worked when I started Grow Factor, I was working at. Thomas Cook. Oh yeah, and I was going in. It's a good finance job. I'm on like sixty k a year, mm. but really, I only need to work for three or four days a month because it's the financial month end close. Mm-hmm. The rest of the time, people that work in finance um, probably won't be listening to this, but they'd understand <laughs> it if they were. <laughs> it's just like you're twiddling your thumbs, and they expect you to work till seven o'clock at night just because it's the dumb mm. thing to show yeah. your face, and you just feel like you've got this life to do something, wow. to have an impact help people make a change and you're just sat there Yeah, and you're not doing things the way that you want to do. So you're not fulfilled.
0: Mm. You know,
1: you've had this like burning desire to, 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 to reach fulfillment, but you don't necessarily know what it is. I guess for you, you knew, let me do this, but let me do it my own way. I didn't necessarily know, but.
0: Yeah. And, and it's, it's exactly that way. And it's, and the creative within me, you know, when you are a a creative, you, you have to be free. You have to be able to experiment, and you know I'd always get frustrated with things that even though were good for business, like you know we'd do small weddings and things, and the food was good. It was always good, but it was frustrating because it felt like it was we were feeding people, and I've never wanted to feed people. Feeding people is a byproduct of what we do. We want them to come for an experience. Yeah, they get fed off the back of that. Yeah, and that's what going into Stratford upon Avon. It was. yeah, everybody caters for the tourist market. They're just feeding people. Yeah. Stratford didn't need a restaurant when I opened up. There was yeah. no need. There's hundred odd yeah. in a tiny town. Um to given experience. Good restaurants.
1: Yeah. Maybe not great, but there are lots of good restaurants that get good reviews that people will go to, right?
0: And they do their job, they've got the marketplace and they do well, you know, they're no decent businesses. But for me, it's cooking by numbers and it's yeah. boring and it's the customers dictating to you. I wanted it to be. This is what we do. Yeah. If you don't like it, that's fine. You come to us for what we do. And we have yeah. full, you know, creative freedom. Yeah. Um, and that, that's exactly what we created. Yeah. And it's,
1: well, it's your personality, it's your brand, it's your business. And there's some, well, there's a lot of pride in that. Yes. You know? Yeah. Exactly. Totally different to working with someone else. So, what, well, when you open the business, what were the steps when you look back now? Like if someone wanted to open their own restaurant, Mm. What were some maybe challenges or things that you would have done differently? And what did you focus on? Because you weren't one of the restaurants that failed in the first year, the 80%. Mm. You've got your star, which you've retained. You've been open now for how long?
0: Uh, Six years. Six
1: years? Yeah. Consistent business, waiting list for people to book tables. People want to come, amazing reputation, lots of great press and PR i've eaten there food's amazing experience is amazing but definitely i agree with what you said it won't be for everyone's taste no you haven't created a menu to please everyone yeah i love it yeah but there will be people that that's not their cup of tea
0: exactly like like a piece of art it's not incredible if it pleases the whole world is it yeah so what did you do
1: if you can remember back to the first one or two years Mm. to keep the doors open and make it a success
0: um, well, I'd say like the things I would have done different, I wouldn't change a lot really because I, I believe in the reason you are where you are now is because of what you've done and the things you've done wrong. If I was to do it again, knowing what I know now, I'd have a bit more infrastructure and support around me because, okay. you know, I you know, nearly had a breakdown because of all the, you know, the stress I put myself under and things I took on that I probably didn't need to, um, but the things that made us a success were taking risks and I've always been a risk taker. Yeah. Um, so like nobody knew who I was, who we were when we opened or what we were about. Um, and we were ultimately midweek really quiet in those first six months. Um, and the easiest thing to do when you're in that position is right. Let's do a cheaper menu. Let's do an offer. Let's try yeah. and get the locals in on a an early bird or something. And that's what other people were telling me to do. Yeah. But I went completely the opposite way. I put the prices up yeah. and added value to the menu as well. Yeah. But like, let's go more because we're creating a brand here. We need people to know that we're premium and we're serious about this. Yeah. Because the second we started doing, you know, offers at night we'll get certain people coming in but they're never going to come back for the rest. They're yeah. never going to um or if we sack it off they, they won't they'll stop coming
1: Yeah, you want to build loyal clientele in the
0: long term, right? Exactly. So we really had to believe in it. We had we had a 20 pound lunch menu on when I opened. Um it was just a 111 one, one, uh, like one starter, one main, one yeah. dessert. Yeah. And um then we had our a la carte and our taster menu. And there was other restaurants and the restaurant next door was half the price, yeah. and you know they were doing a few more covers. So I was like, okay, so what I'm going to do? I'm going to get rid of this cheap menu, yeah, because that was it wasn't an off though. It's a good menu. It was priced accordingly, cheaper cuts, so and still our standard. You still get all the snacks, the peripheral things as yeah. well. Yeah, um, so it wasn't cost effective as well. Let's just get rid of it. Let's just go with the à la carte and yeah. the tasting menu, and let's put the price up a bit. Let's add another course. Yeah, let's create value around it and that you know that was really um beneficial to us you know being successful in that first year and staying open okay so kind of like we talk about in business instead
1: of trying to do a million things Mm -hmm. your zone of genius is creating high level food that's unique as an experience so why would you create a second almost income stream which is a fixed menu mm-hmm. that you've tried to work on the margins because it's so cheap. You have to to make a profit, mm. and that's not you. Yeah. So work out where you are, basically, because not everyone is going to be. I know you're saying it's just hard work, but I think probably people can get to eighty percent with hard work, yeah. And then the top up is the natural talent mm-hmm. and the ability to be creative. So if you're at eighty percent, work out or work out where you are. What kind of restaurant do you want? Yeah, yeah. You want a high-end restaurant. You want to fulfil your skill potential, exactly. But as so long as you really understand who you are, and you execute that rather than trying to be everything, that's the main takeaway there, right?
0: Yes, exactly, yeah. exactly. And to this day, you know, we've never really advertised. We've never really. Um, we've never ever done an offer. We've never. So how discounted. did you get into? How did you win awards? How did you get into? If you
1: because if you look at Salt and any. Uh, listeners or viewers who are not familiar with salt, if you just write salt restaurant into Google, it will come up with page after page after page of award, article, Mm. review, all of those things. Do you think that's just about doing good work and waiting for critics to come and eat in the restaurant? Or did you actively go and invite people to come to the restaurant?
0: Um, Generally speaking, if you're in London, such a competitive market, you have to go down that PR route. Yeah. journalists in um we never did we've never had a PR company work on our behalf no I just
1: assumed you had a PR company because so much good press there.
0: no about sort of about nearly a about a year in we took one on on a two-month trial and it just didn't work for us because we'd already had so much press I'd already got myself on television yeah she couldn't do anything for us. Yeah. It wasn't that she was doing a bad job. It's, well, I was doing it all anyway. And then it kind of snowballs. And um, when I was in Suffolk, I'd had um, a really good review with uh, Jay Rayner. Um, and that kind of put me on the map. And yeah. then just a lot of good things came off the back of that. So my yeah. profile within the industry was already grown yeah it wasn't around stratford or, or anywhere like that special
1: personal brand so do you think it's a good idea for chefs no matter what level they're at to
0: try and build their own personal brand oh it is yeah and it's 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 easier to do now with social media but the challenge is that when i was first a head chef at in 2010 social media wasn't what it was there was no instagram yeah and twitter was small so There wasn't many of us chefs on there. So it was easier to sort of grow now. But I I made a lot of mistakes on it. Do you think it's easier
1: now? Or do you think actually there, if you have the talent that you've got, it's easier? Because once you've got the article, the people that really love food they read those articles. They yeah. look in the Michelin Guide. Mm. They look in the you know in the the new restaurants that have come out that have got notable awards or AA Rosettes or whatever it might be, and then they'll seek them out and travel across the country to go there. Whereas Instagram, do you think now it could be
0: getting to the point where it's
1: harder to stand out?
0: It's a bit oversaturated. Yeah, definitely. And uh, there's a there's a mix mix and people are so much more clever phones are better food can look a lot better than it actually is
1: you can't taste it by no.
0: and I can as a chef and knowing food I can look at the food and it can look amazing when you really look at yeah. it like you know certain things yeah, you're going to taste bad in a
1: restaurant in Paris recently I'm not going to name it but um, I think sort of five out of the seven courses were really great and two of them were like almost inedible Yeah. but if you look at the Instagram and, and all the yeah. things it looks
0: incredible exactly because you can manipulate it you can take your time and take loads of photos and get an expert pick the
1: reviews that you want to promote
0: exactly that's why you know michelin um and other things like michelin are so still so well respected Mm -hmm. you know they're and they're not just for the purist it's they're revered and well respected for a reason because they're they're so much more consistent yeah and it's not like let's say a trip advisor for instance um if you're reviewing a restaurant on TripAdvisor and I am, yeah. your one, two, three, four, five is different to my one, two, three, four, five. Yeah, it's judgmental. Exactly. So Michelin have got one set. We don't know what their guidelines are. Their own criteria, right? They're their criteria. Influenced. You
1: can't pay them off. They're not, you know, there's no behind closed doors things going on. That's the whole value of Michelin, mm. right? They are
0: independent they are independent and you know that if they're saying they're a one and they're a one they're generally pretty consistent because it's coming from one place not a thousand customers reviewing one place or with their their own ideas and the the same with TripAdvisor not to go too much into these review sites but how bad is it that us as a restaurant I know we're not the best restaurant in the country there's free mission star restaurants that are much better than us Um, but if I don't get a five-star review yeah. on TripAdvisor, I'm like, that's not good enough. <laughs> yeah, Realistically, we're a three Yeah, or a four. Because um, I can't say I'm as good as the fat duck because yeah. we're not. But we, we all feel like we should all have five, but it's just not a true measure. Yeah. It? That's why I, I dismiss and ignore all those now. I yeah. don't, you know, don't do me any good or bad for business. I don't read them. I'm not interested anymore.
1: Yeah, because, I mean, TripAdvisor especially, Exactly what you said. It's the independent judgment of one person. I stayed in a hotel in Paris recently, 4.9 out of 5, 2,000 reviews. My experience of it was it was terrible. Yeah. So you, you, you have to look at the independence of it. And I guess in a really crowded world where there's so much on Instagram, so much on Google, so easy to write a TripAdvisor review, Michelin will just go from strength to strength. Yeah, exactly. Because of people, the trustworthiness of it, right? Yes. Well, um, when you first started the restaurant, Like I talk about a business allowing you ideally to give you freedom. Yeah. Have an impact on people or the world Mm -hmm. and make money, right? Yeah. So what was your routine like? Imagining you didn't have much freedom in the first few years of of running the business. Routine is in like
0: life balance and stuff. Yeah, like when did
1: you get up? What time did you get to the restaurant? How many days were you working? Well, you did have kids then right because the restaurant is not as old as your daughter so you had your daughter then
0: yeah my daughter she was four years old and my son was four months old when we opened so that wow okay presents challenges i'm sure you'd be aware and when you talked about risks it's not
1: just talk because you're opening a restaurant when you've got a four-month-old kid which most people wouldn't do because they'd be so worried about removing a paye income
0: yeah and i was the only one earning money now yeah. my ex-wife and wife at the time she was on maternity still yeah she was getting a bit of maternity money but it wasn't wasn't huge obviously so we still had house to pay for and yeah. cars and all, all the normal stuff and i don't think i would even
1: do that i mean i don't <laughs> think that i'm quite a high-risk person anyway being an indian accountant but um
0: that's a lot, yeah. It is. You've and got to a back p- yourself, right? Part of it is more about how it happened. So we we crowdfunded the money through Kickstarter to open the restaurant. Yeah. 2016, about March 2016. We didn't actually open till April 2017. So just finding the site and getting it there yeah. was took that long. And it's hard to time. You can't just say, right, I'm going to open it next year on this date. Yeah. And Ethan just came along around the same time, and it's yeah. said, well, these two things have collided. I can't did stop either one. Then, like,
1: did you save money from working before? Yeah, I'd save
0: some money and yeah. um, just for personal paying the bills, and I was yeah. just doing consultancy, okay, working from home, doing projects for people, and yeah. I was going and working in friends' kitchens, you know, all over sort of Cotswolds oh, okay. and just yeah, yeah, do yeah, a couple yeah. of days you know, hustling. Bit. Yeah, yeah. you got to hustle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd you know. So when Ethan was born from the October, um, obviously we didn't open until the April, so I still wasn't working. So I still had to, you know, pay with one, one proper wage coming in. I started yeah. to sort of make it work whilst yeah. building opening the restaurant. It was a very challenging year. Do, do you think, I mean, for me,
1: it gave me a whole new level of motivation when I had kids. I used to get up at four o'clock in the morning and do three hours before they woke up. Yeah. Because I was like, right, well, I've got this business. It's, at that time, it was doing three or 400K in sales. mm mm-hmm. I want to get it to a point where they can have whatever they want. They can go to the right schools. We can take nice holidays. We've got money in the bank. We can Mm. move house. And it was just like someone lit a fire up me when when I had kids. Yeah, it
0: was, although I was married, it was before the kids, you're a bit more selfish and it doesn't really matter, but it does change completely. It's like, well, I need to make this work for us, for them. And I did it the other way around. Like, so you'd get up really early. Yep. I've never been a morning person. I've always okay. been a night owl. So why yep. I'd work really late. Okay. So even if, you know, I'd done a, you know, 12, 14 hour shift, I'd come yep. home and then it'd be doing admin and menus okay. and recipes. and you and see your family
1: in the morning then? And then probably not see them? <laughs> yeah. And I'd, I'd be a zombie, to be honest. Have. Yeah.
0: Absolute zombie in the morning. Um, and we were open five days then. So we were open Wednesday to Sunday. And I'd finish about five o'clock on a Sunday. So I had Sunday night, Monday, Tuesday off. And the kids weren't in school then. So the Monday, Tuesday it was, it was, it was fine. I got a lot of time with them. But okay. I, I was a so bit your of a writer on the
1: like, yeah, Monday, Tuesday, you're real because it's not about for like people who are running their businesses and they're feeling guilty. To me, someone explained to me once, a therapist, it's not about quantity of time, it's about quality. Exactly. All the kids want is a connection. Yeah. So even on the days when you're really busy, if you can say, connect with them for five minutes, mm. ask them what they want to do, play with them, do whatever. And on the other days, just be about them. Don't be on your phone on the Monday and Tuesday. Don't be, you know, trying to do emails while they're, while you're swinging them on the swings or whatever it yeah. is.
0: And that, that was a trap I'd fallen into as well. Cause I was, I was working on the Monday and Tuesday and yeah. I was the only one looking after emails and bookings coming in. Okay, like, so that, I don't do this. Yeah. No one's doing it. And I'm, you know dealing with problems and issues so i never had a set well i'm off those days and i'm off off yeah i was never off never and that off.
1: was for how long until you got someone to come in and sort of help
0: the first year or so really and it was just um yeah, it was just all over the place and then i managed to grow the team a little bit in the kitchen and in the front of house yeah. a bit of pressure off me and you know, just, just with little things dealing with inquiries and things like things really? I shouldn't need to be handling. And what's the structure of your team now? Because you have your
1: restaurant staff, but who do you have helping with inquiries, emails, you know?
0: So like I have, um, kind of so the restaurant manager and yeah. assistant restaurant manager, they handle okay. that. Yeah. When, um, like at the moment we're closed for two weeks holiday over Easter, yeah. I don't expect them to be looking after that. I'm, fine looking after that and just keeping an eye on things there's nothing that urgent anyway yeah um so I'll, I'll deal with anything that does come in that needs a bit more attention um but during the rest of it they they handle the rest of it okay. I, i'm just guilty of um wanting to be involved with things i don't need to yeah sometimes because yeah, yeah. i'll work now i'm not in the kitchen as much anymore yeah the team look after it because i'm working on many different things but i'll work upstairs sometimes in the cookery school okay. and Um, I'm not as productive because I'm going down and getting involved in things I don't need to. If I take myself out of the situation. And trust them. Yeah. The team are fine and I do completely trust them. It's it's not even trust. It's it's me wanting that connection still with the business, I think. Yeah, because you enjoy it, right? Yeah. And I love making decisions and I love being a leader. Yeah. Like more than a chef sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. So when I, like, okay, I'm going to work from home. So I'm writing my third cookbook at the moment and so okay, I'm going to do some of this writing from home and yeah. I'll just be more productive and they're fine. They don't need me a yeah. lot of the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: But it's scary to give across the reins, but I think I read a really good book, actually, if you're interested in learning about business, for you if you haven't read it and for, for, for listeners. Um, called, so the first one is called Rocket Fuel. The mm. second one is called Traction. Yeah. It's all about what we talked about, understanding what seat you should sit in. Yeah. So you need an integrator, which will be your restaurant manager. Who deals with the, all the operations and the day-to-day stuff yeah you need your team that you can trust your chefs that are in there and you're the visionary mm-hmm. you're the one that sets the culture sets the objectives for the year writes the menu being collaborative yeah. checks the standards make sure that people that, eat, that are eating in the restaurant are happy but you work out whatever your zone of genius is and then you make sure that you clearly are only staying in that lane yes, and let exactly. the other people do their bits.
0: And it takes a lot of time to transition as well. Yeah, 12 it?
1: years it took me to find that book. Yeah. And then Yasa, who's my business partner, to get him to be happy to be the integrator yeah. and then to step back and tell my team, I'm the visionary now so you don't come to me with, client queries and these kind of things, mm. because this is what I'm doing. This is my role in order for us to move forward.
0: Yes, exactly. Exactly right. And I learned that, and still I get a bit, I'm still on the fence with it, and I need to remove myself a bit more. But I learned it from watching chefs I'd worked under, like Sat Baines in Nottingham, yeah, yeah. and watching his progression from when I worked with him. He was on a section in the kitchen, and we cooked together, and then watching him come away but be over it he's tactically over the business yes yeah. control of the brand the vision like you said and the style and the cuisine but he's not hands-on because what you end when when you're too hands-on you end up building a bad business model so when we'd been open about five six months and I had a car crash on the way into um way into work on Wednesday morning um and it was because I was doing too much I fell asleep at the wheel wrote two cars off like head on 50 miles an hour with another wow. car. Totally my fault. I veered into their lane and my hairbags went off and, you know, the strap, like all my neck swelled up and I couldn't move. Um, we had to close the restaurant for the day. Yeah. I mean, that's not, it wasn't a concern. Obviously, certain things come first, but it, it just made me realise that if I'm that, I'm relied on that much. This yeah. is a bad business model. Yeah. You so need I to need to have to the infrastructure
1: at some point. Otherwise it's super high risk, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. Okay. And there's a lot of great chefs out there who I admire and look up to. And in multiple years, they've never missed a service mm. and they've, they've created great restaurants. But for me, I've never wanted my business to be so reliant on me. Yeah. Because it's not just about me. You know, it's about the team and growing people. So, it's about
1: what... We are, I'm thinking a lot about dashboards at the moment. So I'm trying to create a, a dashboard for each of Growth Factors' major industry niches. So a financial dashboard for restaurants, for example, to tell them what numbers to keep an eye on, almost like a health check that the business can can look mm-hmm. at. But from a business perspective, when you start to step back, how do you make sure that the quality of the plate is the same? The customers are getting the same experience. Like, how, what do you keep track of? What sort of
0: it's metrics? A, it's you a, it's a very at? difficult thing to track um, in a metric sense because what we're delivering is a, a tangible product yeah. that can just change instantly
1: during a service. And you asking for customer feedback before they leave the restaurant or?
0: Um, no, we don't. We don't do that. It's so inconsistent customer yeah. feedback. Okay. It's, for me, it's, I mean, it's, it could be viewed as quite inaccurate but for me metric wise it's it's about trust and my head chef laura she's been with me since day one so six years she's been cooking with me and she worked with me at mallory court before so you don't sue chef the same check no in two three days a week and spot check we communicate a lot we trust that she's honest if she has made a mistake she'd tell me yeah you know so i know that if there's a customer issue that's come up um and she's she's telling me how it is from her perspective yeah i understand i know that she's telling the truth for what has happened yeah because she'll come to me all the time someone's done this or she's done this or that happened yeah and, you know this is how we'll move forward from it um yeah so it's about that complete trust because it's, it's such a unique business a restaurant yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: just she is like yassa is to me complete trust yeah he's part of the business now I couldn't run the business without him. I never questioned what he's saying. And we were just, I guess you were so lucky to find Laura. Yeah. Laura, right? We were so lucky to find Yasser and things just happen that way. So I yeah. guess if you don't have a Laura or a Yasser,
0: yeah. you I need mean,
1: you to do. try and seek one out.
0: You really do. And, um, you know, in terms of, going back to what you said about customer feedback, we do actually get some of that that are value. And it's, that's from our regulars that have been eating with us for six years. Yeah. And, you know, it was only last year, I think, when I was really stepping back and leaving Laura to it and letting her giving given her ownership of it in the kitchen, has really brought her on. Yeah. But some of them, like, I've spoke to them. Maybe I'm upstairs and I'm leaving them to it. They're like, God, this is the best meal I've ever had here. Yeah. And <laughs> a little bit that hurts, <laughs> but. In a way, it's like, no, that's brilliant. I get that too. Yeah, I jump on Zoom calls occasionally
1: with clients and mm. I can see they're just looking at me like, do you want to get off this call now so we can start being productive <laughs> instead of just chatting about random stuff? Yeah. <laughs> and they're happy with the team. Yeah. More so yeah. than when I was doing delivery because for me, probably similar, maybe not similar to you. You're, because I'm sure when you're cooking, you'd be focused on cooking. But for me, I'm not as focused on bookkeeping or financial analysis or tax on a call as my accountants would be. Of course, yeah. Because that's all they're doing and that's what their passion is. Mm. I'll be thinking about different things and starting conversations with clients about sales and marketing and optimization, Because you're not as day-to-day with it. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, Yeah, no, I'm exactly the same. Mm -hmm. What
1: do you do now? So it sounds like you've got a lot more freedom now. You've taken two weeks off for Easter, Mm. which I think is another point for people. You're not so focused on the money lost during that time, you know that you need to give your team a break, yourself a break mm. in what could be, I guess, a really busy time if you chose to stay open because of the school holidays and things of that
0: yeah. nature. Yeah. I mean, we we, you know, we do plan our holidays around the school holidays because, you know, it works for me. Works so you for the do team. What
1: we do, Kieran and I, we do like a preloaded calendar. We look at the whole year. Yeah. Think about if we want to go abroad. Mm-hmm. And now you have to pre-book so far in advance because <sighs> otherwise the flights just could get more and more expensive. Yeah block out the calendar share that with the whole team so they know get them on board with when they're going to take mm. a similar thing you do i guess with agreeing yeah. when because if the restaurant's going to be closed your team have to take their annual leave yeah. yeah
0: and that's agreed at the start and it's such a rare thing in the industry that you actually take all your holiday yeah but like people love it so we you know around the so towards the autumn time i'll set the holiday for the year after yeah so i'll tell the guys so this year we um, our holiday year is January to December, so we were closed the first week of January because yeah. we always close Christmas, New Year, and then two weeks April, two weeks in August, and then there's a few days to use up around October. Do you think that's been, to me? That seems like
1: something that's really critical, actually, that I didn't pick up on. But your team are probably very happy, yeah, very fulfilled. They're not overworked because they know they get those breaks almost every quarter. It, it is. It works in blocks,
0: yeah. yeah, throughout the throughout the year. And that, so
1: you're saying that's rare for a restaurant to do that?
0: It is. And I'm, I've worked in a lot of hotels, which for instance, 65 days of the year. Yeah. And, you know, it, it does drag. And sometimes you'll have, you know, you might take a bit of holiday in January and it's quiet. And then your next, you take a few days in the summer, but your next holiday is probably not all, till autumn. Yeah, it's crazy. So that will allow it's a you long to- drag.
1: That'll allow you to retain your staff because if they start thinking, well, is the grass greener elsewhere? It's not because mm. they're working more. If you're doing that for them, you're probably doing a whole host of other things to make sure they're happy and fulfilled as well.
0: Because with, with staff, it's not just about throwing money at them, you know, and then overworking or exploiting, etc. Like you, obviously you got to pay them correctly and pay them well. Yeah. Um, and make sure they in, see 100% of their tips like our guys do. So what else can we offer to stand out and be competitive in the staff um, sort of market get, the best, people. get yeah. the best people but how can we make sure we retain these guys and that's why you know Laura and Gibbo they've been with me six years yeah. they get guaranteed two weeks off over Christmas and New Year which yeah. is, that's the busiest time we shouldn't yeah. really be closed yeah. then, but I don't want to work they it. have
1: time with their families you have time with your family and it's a different model so in our business and
0: for our clients we teach uh, pick your
1: sort of three things to really focus on to grow your business your three projects so mm. for you that might have been the cookery school when it was, when it was starting the online masterclass or whatever it might be. Yeah. Writing the book is probably all three of your projects at the moment. Yeah. And then you work on that for 10 weeks. And then you have a couple of weeks where you deload kind of like physical weight training. Mm-hmm. You can't go all year long. So you work on one to three projects for a quarter. You review the progress of that. You take a week off. And so with Kieran, I'll try and plan holidays in the same way. Yeah. So I know. Okay. I'm going to work really, really hard within reason, but I'm going to get that block. Okay, in May, we're going to Portugal. In the summer, we're going to Canada. In October, we'll go to Dubai. And it's mm. like, you've got those things to look forward to. And it to. doesn't look
0: as daunting a year, does it? No, when no, you no, break you're really it breaking down. it all up. Yeah,
1: hundred percent. Yeah, I think that's great. I think that's a really good takeaway for people. What do you do? Just a slightly random question, but I wanted to bring this in because it's an interest for me. <laughs> and I know that you bike, ride bikes. And yeah. You are getting into your sort of physical fitness or you have been for a while. Yeah. What do you do now to optimise your sort of mental performance and your
0: physical health? Um, physical health, I've, I've, I've sort of fell off a bit now because I'm I'm so busy at the moment, but cycling, and um, it's, just the, it's just the best thing. I've always hated running. just yeah. It's a horrible thing to do. <laughs> yeah. uh, even during the lockdown, uh, the first lockdown, I was like, oh, I'll just take myself on a little run, and I just stopped mid-run. I was like, stop it. You hate this. This is horrible. Yeah. Um, I've just never got on with it. And I've got a bike and I love it. I don't have podcasts on, don't have music on. I'm just out. And you're it's just safer stay-
1: for anyway, right? Because you've got a fast bike, like a race bike. Yeah. Yeah,
0: it, Yeah. It, it, it is. But like the temptations there is oh, I need something to yeah. engage me, but, but you don't, you're just out there and, Slate you know, with my free. own thoughts and stuff. And it's, it's amazing for the mind and the body. Um, you know, I need to, now the weather's getting better. I'm going to get much more, much more into it. And, and you live in a
1: beautiful part of the world where you can go out and ride and see countryside. Yeah,
0: you're straight into the Cotswolds from yeah. Stratford. Yeah. Um, um, so yeah, I do a lot of that. And now for, for me and for the, for the mind, is just taking a lot of time for myself. Because I know before I before I was divorced, I never used to do that, and that was that was an issue of mine. I never had my time, yeah, and I'd always. That would be the first thing I would dismiss. I'd be like, I don't need my time because like, you
1: feel guilty.
0: Yeah, all guilt, really. Because not
1: working, I or not worked
0: being a lot, or whatever. I wasn't doing as much at home, so my days off, it'd be like, right, I need to do housework, DIY, yeah, look after the kids, take the pressure off, and you do, you forget about yourself. Yeah. And I, I, if I would have taken time for myself, I would have viewed it as selfish then. But now I'll do that. I'll, you know, I'll have evenings off, do things on my own. I'll go yeah. out be on my own. Even, you know, when I'm in London, cause I'm working in London a lot at the moment, you know, I'll, I'll stay there and I'll, I've been to some comedy gigs and evening on my own yeah. and stuff. Yeah, and yeah. just that time, I was always scared to be on my own, but now yeah. doing that is quite, quite powerful. Yeah, and i
1: think that takes a lot of confidence i saw three guys yesterday in the cinema who'd come to watch that movie on their own because they wanted to yeah and obviously you know that was their circumstance and i th- i see them and i think fair play yeah you shouldn't like people travel on their own now people go to cinema on their own mm. there were lots of people in paris where we were there having dinner on their own yeah which is more of a done thing over there i think because people go out more in exactly Eastland's restaurants where we were staying there's so many restaurants just those nice neighborhood local mm. restaurants not flashy center of town mayfairish kind of not yeah. there's anything wrong with that but just real sort of parisian cheap uh price but good wholesome food type restaurants that you mm. could go to every night is my point yes you couldn't go to most people couldn't anyway go to a high <laughs> oh, end yeah, michelin style restaurant every night no no on you're their right own, is a substitute for cooking their own dinner, right? Because it would be, it would bankrupt them.
0: And last, um, last year as well, I went... Um, it was my 40th year, so I took a few breaks. I went to New York. I went, went to Thank You. went to Lapland. You're the same age kids. as me then. I'm 40 as well. Oh, yeah. 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 82. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, no way. I didn't know that. I knew we were roughly the same. But it's a good decade. Do you feel like good, you understand Very good yourself? wine year, 82 as well. Is it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah with the weather. Early um,
1: days. Do you feel like you understand yourself more um, at 40. Like I was happy to turn 40 because I was like, I get, I, get, I get it now.
0: Yeah. Yeah, much, much better. Much better than when I was, uh, you know, 20s and 30s. Yeah. yeah I, know, I know who I am. I know, I know my Not needs Not that like, but no.
1: I know what's wrong with me now. Yeah. And I'll try and be better at that.
0: And I know what my needs are. I know the difference between my wants and my needs, which I don't think I really did. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, and I think that's important. Like I need time to myself now. Yeah, I need quality time with my children. Yeah, It's not just a one. I need things that fulfill me in life, not yeah. just things that I'm doing because I feel like I should, or that's what the industry thinks of me, yeah. or whatever, it's more about. And
1: you don't never, I've never uh,
0: seen you be a materialistic
1: person or one. So, you know, the reality of a restaurant at the top end mm. as we know is it's not a license to print money no. the fact that you're the way you are most of the money that comes in you're spending on getting the best quality products and the best stuff and the best yeah. location and constantly upgrading it so it's not like you started this and you're living this life of, of high luxury no you're doing it for a genuine love of providing an experience to people
0: exactly we've always it's always had to be that high-end, great restaurant. A good business model that, you know, we don't take profits, so everything's gone back in and we've just made it better and better and refurbed it and new kitchen. Which is ironic
1: because people probably think who don't understand restaurants and don't understand business that the Michelin-style restaurants make the most money. But actually, it's your Nando's and your regular high street restaurant. Your
0: higher turnover. Yeah, yeah, low
1: quality, super low quality product. High staff turnover, cheap wages where they're making money. Yeah. To a different degree and they've got multiple locations mm-hmm. so what do you do i mean looking back at that triangle you've got more freedom now you definitely impact people because people can i well i think so because people can access your expertise by going and signing up to the masterclass, which yeah. is like five pound a month or something yeah and access all of your cookery teachings and all of these things so That allows you to impact people on a global basis. Yes. Which I think is really important for Mm -hmm. your own fulfillment to be able to help people, even if they can't afford to come to the restaurant. Yes. Um, But we all do want to make money. We want to go on nice holidays. We want to maybe drive a nice car. We want to have a nice house. You probably would prioritize the kitchen. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, definitely. I saw yeah. when you came in this morning, you were straight away over looking at the cookers and the ovens <laughs> and saying, nice kitchen.
0: Yeah, it's, it's the hub of a home for me, it's, it's where all the socialising happens. Yeah, and, it's true. Having a nice yeah.
1: open plan and mm. we've got the, the dinner table in there and we deliberately didn't put a TV on the wall so that mm. we would have dinner and talk
0: nice. and there wouldn't
1: be the temptation. Yeah. And we've thought about it and thought about it. We always have these ongoing conversations, should we put a TV in there just so I can watch the football mm-hmm. while Kieran's cooking and we can be together? Yeah. But you end up just then being in the same room and just not watching the football. And not engaging before. properly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, oh yeah, not engaging properly. So what other things are you doing that maybe other people can learn from to create additional income streams separate to the restaurant?
0: Well, for me, it was, for me, I was very realistic about salt. I knew it was never going to make me rich, yeah. right? It's a small restaurant. We're open four days a week, 11 mm-hmm. tables, 27 covers, plus upstairs. Mm-hmm. Which does make it so special, right? It so, does. And it's it's about creating. I always wanted it to... But the first vision was, right, it, it's going to create a job for me where I have ultimate freedom. No boss above me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to work a, a decent enough wage. Um, and once I've built this brand that I'm proud of... It's never going to, like, I'm never going to retire on it. Yeah. search so, so i want to use that to be able to do other things and i'll make money that way okay so that is your flagship if yeah. you like so then i can open more restaurants so i'm opening a restaurant in london next month but it's not going to be we're not going to try and pick up salt and do salt everywhere yeah it's going to be using my name in my profile to do different things yeah and you know still all about you know quality with different, different different food influence. styles yeah. yeah a business model that is You know, more likely to make money, Uh, cookery books, television, um, the online masterclass, and then brand work as well. I switched (laughs) to the TV. This
1: is like two or three years ago, though, when I didn't realize you were on TV and I was watching TV with my kids and we put Saturday Kitchen on or something and you were on TV. And I was screaming at them to come into the other room. (laughs) Look, look, look. it's always
0: on TV. (laughs) I love doing it, it's a great thing. But for that, again, it that's I don't want to be a TV chef. Yeah. I want to use that to try and monetize it in different ways. So like now I'm trying to do brand work at the moment. So yeah. TikTok's obviously gone crazy. Yeah. I've like got a massive following on TikTok out of nowhere. Oh, really? um, It's my biggest social TikTok, media yeah. following. Uh, it was like 120,000. Wow. Yeah. Sort of come out of nowhere, me just doing some cooking videos and I picked up brand work from that. Okay.
1: So little things you can monetize and things like that.
0: Yeah. So trying to work smarter, really. Yeah. So, you know, if I was still tied to the Soviet salt, I'd be working incredibly hard for like a set income. Yeah. Now I want to work, work less for more. So just work smarter, essentially. So the, the
1: lesson there is, first of all, you concentrate on your one thing, you find out your zone of genius, you build your restaurant to the point where you have got a waiting list and you've got loyal followers and people are, mm. which I find with Soul, asking people like, how did you get the table? How did you get in? You know, there's a real demand for it and you've built a brand mm. and then from that brand only then, three, four, five, six years down the line, can you start to think about, I can yeah. use that brand to do this, bring my own cookery books out bring my own utensils out, whatever it might be, and get some good advice and diversify. And it is,
0: it's very easy, especially young chefs, to look at successful chefs and they want all the the brand work and the fancy stuff and the materialistic stuff straight away. And they they, feel they, like they don't understand overnight. why they can't they don't have realize it.
1: They not realise you've been working for the last 20 years.
0: Exactly. 20, 24 years in kitchens, hard kitchens. And then still, when I opened Salt at, what, 34 there was still several years of hard work yeah. then, and I'd already done, you know, a lot. And people think you're rich yeah. just because you've been on Telly and you've got yeah, a star, yeah, yeah. and you know, it doesn't mean money. It means you have the opportunity to monetize yourself. Yeah, is what a it lot means later
1: down the line. It's really yeah. funny because um, I was in the gym yesterday, uh, taking some check-in pictures. So I'm doing bodybuilding, but I'm not going to compete because I don't want to sort of sacrifice my energy levels with the kids and all these other things. Nice. But I do want to get leaner through the summer just to see what I look like. I've always yeah. liked bodybuilding. up. I tried doing functional fitness, bike riding, all these other things, but it turns out I'm just a vain individual who likes to look <laughs> at myself in the mirror, right? So Don't I know me. myself. There's nothing wrong with that. Man. Anyway, I'm in my pants taking these checking pictures and these, this guy said, oh, you look great. Like, how long have you been training? And then I said, 25 years. i was like do you know what i've been training for 25 years never taken more than a week off yeah and it's the same with work if you just consistently progress you get to the point where people look at you and they're asking you like oh what drugs are you taking or yeah you know what what are you doing what's your steroid protocol i don't i'm natural (laughs) like i've just been training for 25 years you just
0: People we look at the result; they don't yep. see the, like that, there's so that famous patient. famous picture, isn't it? I always go back to, and it's, um, it's a ballet dancer's shoes. I don't know if you've ever seen it with, with their shoes. No. And then there's a picture with, uh, without the shoes on and their feet are just wrecked. Okay. So I'm you sure. see these shoes and this yeah. beautiful ballet dancer. Yeah. You but what's underneath is just all that graph. The years of hard work. Yeah.
1: yeah. That's yeah. a good one. And um, you talked about bringing other people in to be experts. Obviously, you've been a client of Grow Factor for a good few years now. We met as yeah. you looked at that time, I think, on Google just for a local accountant, and we had a physical Birmingham office at that time. Yeah, and then I came to your house. That's right. Yeah, for the initial
0: we were probably um like discovery meeting. We were under a year in, so yeah, we don't not long been opened, but we were with an accountancy firm and we just opened and took them on, and they were just they were okay, but it was just they were just accounts just Not doing a very any basic no value, no real interest in the business and yeah. no you know, and that's what stood out with you is that you want to almost be a part of it and yeah. grow with us and obviously hence your name, Grow Factor and I mean, you had a different name then didn't you?
1: SRK Accounting, yeah, that's when people it. googled us they found Sharuk Khan, the Bollywood actor so we <laughs> had to change it it was my initials and I came from KPMG so it seemed like a logical progression but yeah, <laughs> Grow Factor is about being that important business partner you know yeah. we've had conversations where you've been thinking about things and we've had a conversation together to try and get to a decision and things like that and yeah. offering clients unlimited support but yeah we only want to take on clients where we're passionate about their business mm. genuinely and i don't do any of your day-to-day now i know anish does like what's been your experience with grow factor like how has it been and would you recommend us to other chefs and restaurants
0: yeah definitely words i mean it, for me it's about you know, obviously trust that that side is looked after there was with just to refer back to the other accountants there was an expectation that we knew what we were doing yeah and they would be asking us questions about things and i had no idea yeah. really apart from being a head chef and seeing the odd p and L, I i knew nothing about that level of business whereas you know you guys you, you take it on you manage it and there's you know there's there's feedback and they're constantly chasing me because that's I'm useless with admin, yeah, I like yeah. an admin and accounts. So it's this benefit that um, you guys are managing it, in charge of it, and I yeah. can ask you honest questions that aren't just about figures and monthly reports. Yeah, where you you understand our business, and that wor- it works exactly in line with the only meat, fish, wine, booze suppliers. I only work with the ones that want to work with us yeah i'm not interested in just being a number yeah you know they've got to understand our business and be almost be on the journey with us yeah and that's for everybody we use yeah
1: that's awesome yeah for us definitely it's a it's a it is an honor having a client and to be part of a client's journey over the long term Mm -hmm. is so rewarding yeah even though i don't do the day-to-day for all of my clients especially for you, because it's really exciting to see where we started and where you're at now. Yeah. Like it's so rewarding.
0: Yeah, um, especially through with all the the year, years that we've all had in the middle. Yeah. You know? <laughs> what, just to wrap
1: up, what, I know we've kind of already had these, so we can kind of repeat, I guess, things that we've already spoken about. What would be three keys to success that you could share with people that aren't haven't been through that 25-year journey, are on the journey, what would be three keys to, to your success that you'd
0: like to share? Okay. So, yeah, off my head, the first thing I would say is you have to stick by your guns. You know, a, a, a business that is, is, is fickle and just tries to move with either what is trendy or what other people are doing or what you're being told to do, mm. um, you have to listen to your inner voice. You know, yeah. like to go back to, to Stratford, when I opened in Stratford, I spoke to other restaurateurs, and they were saying, oh, you have to do um, pre-theatre meals. It's your bread and butter. You won't survive without it. Yeah. And if I'd have been a little bit more naive, I probably would listen to them and done it. Yeah. Um, but my question back to them was, yeah, but how do restaurants survive in towns without theatres then? Yeah. Like surely yeah. there's a way. Yeah. Like, no, you have to do it. you fail if you don't. I've never done it. And it's, you know, benefited us massively because yeah. it doesn't fit our business model. Trust so yourself. sticking to your guns, yeah. like you've got, if you really know that and believe that it's going to be a success and you, you've got to be prepared to, you know, die on that hill yeah. as well. Yeah. If yeah. you're going to stick to your guns, but that's big reason why we've been successful is yeah. like, I know that this is the best course of action for the business. So stick to your guns yeah. and trust yourself and yeah. back yourself, yeah. really. Massive. Um, and then, you know, absolute hard work is you know is key like you're saying hard
1: work does pay off
0: i'd agree with you on the 80 percent to 20 percent because even if you don't completely have that 20 percent of talent 80 percent of you know that success is gets you to a good place exactly yeah exactly you might not be gordon Ramsay, but you're still gonna be bloody good yeah um so that, that hard work and understanding that the book stops with you and again i say this to a lot of young chefs and young waiters is, it'd be lovely if we only did 37 hours a yeah. week. Um, that's not our industry. The hours are much better than they are. But if you ever want to own your own business, you can't go from doing 37, 40 hours a week for your whole career and then all of a sudden open your own business and expect to be doing the same. You can yeah, be doing exactly. 100. Yeah. Because you have to, because the book Especially stops for with you. for the
1: first few years. Especially for the first few years. And exactly. 12 years in, I've got to the point where I can do 40 hours a week
0: yeah me or too I can take Now a week sometimes off and yeah. the
1: thing will still turn. yeah but because I love it. sometimes I'll do sixty hours a week
0: yeah, but but you invested that time at the start exactly, and if you hadn't I'll, I'll if be you didn't working have that work six ethic days a
1: week getting up at four o'clock in the morning working right through when they've gone to bed at seven, then I'm going back in for a couple of hours
0: exactly, and if you didn't have that work ethic, then growth factor wouldn't be what it is no
1: no, no, for sure
0: yeah and then um so so that's yeah back yourself and. You know, stick to your guns, work hard, and you've got to take risk. Yeah. You know, risk, measured risk. Risk is important. Going back to what I said earlier, nobody's gonna do it for you. Nobody's gonna make decisions for you. And you can
1: still mitigate the risk by having a backup plan. Like if you're a chef and you're good, Mm. someone will hire you if it doesn't work out. Yeah. And like you were doing, you can hustle and work to just earn enough money to pay your bills by going and working in other people's kitchens or or whatever it is, menu design or whatever you're doing. And
0: then Exactly. And I no, always had yeah, that yeah. to fall back on. I always knew that, right, I can take this risk because if I fail, I, you know, I'm easily employable because even, you know, like terrible chefs always get a lot of work yeah. out there on the agency scene. So if you're a good chef, yeah. people always want to eat. Yeah, 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 yeah. Always want to eat. So, you know, you can you can earn money. Yeah, I, I always knew it. I could provide for my family. Yeah. So that was- You, you know, back
1: yourself to go out and do it again. Like I say to Kieran, if, if our business fails overnight- Mm. i'd back myself to build another business in any area yeah up to six figures within the first year yeah a hundred percent
0: yeah yeah so so you, You've you got feel to.
1: okay to take risk
0: yes, yes exactly cool
1: okay last question okay I know we've been going for like 90 minutes now so no that's cool um i'm going to start a new tradition on diary of a ceo they they have the previous guest write a question for the next guest we're not going to do that i'm going to yeah. ask my wife we had dinner last night i was speaking about this because i've been really looking forward to it and also it's probably the first one where i've been a little bit nervous uh-huh. all the other guests for whatever reason i haven't i think it's i don't know why i think probably because i hold you in such high self, high esteem yeah as well and i want to make it the best conversation possible uh, and also you're a TV personality. <laughs> she said a really good question would be, so the tradition is I'm going to get a question off Kieran. Oh, nice. And I'm going to ask that last. Yeah. Because she's not in business. Uh, she does a much harder job of looking after the kids and the home and the family and all of those things. So she's a very has, different outlook. Yeah, yeah, very different outlook. She does charitable work, um, all of those things, but isn't an entrepreneur, isn't in the thick of it. No? <laughs> if you had to have a meal, because you're on death row. Okay. Last yeah. meal. I'm sure you've been asked this before, but yeah. maybe the answer changes. What would that meal be?
0: The, the answer does does change and tweak, but um it would be and this is two reasons, because it's on death row, I want it to last. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite type of food to eat is grazing food. Okay. So like um like Big board, charcuterie. Like, charcuterie is just one of the best things ever. Charcuterie. It doesn't work with it, but some sushi on there as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's my last meal. I don't care. <laughs> so yeah, some sushi, and, uh, you know, wonderful breads and olives, uh, pâtés, pork pies. Yeah. Yeah. That just on a massive board in a table, I could just grate, yeah. dip in, dip out. Maybe some hummus and things like that. Yeah. And that's just like a, a beautiful so meal it to me. Salad
1: or greens or anything on there. Or just saying, well, no, forget I don't it. need it. Yeah. I just want
0: yeah. indulgence. You know, yeah, like yeah, a, yeah. a you know, foie gras parfait and stuff like just yeah. some real, real indulgence. Some beautiful cured meats, some cured fish, some sushi, and nice. Go, go all out. so really good. And grazing board. No cheese. I don't eat I cheese. Like that. You'll
1: probably get another 24 hours of life out of that as well. Exactly. You, really, you can yeah. really make that last, can't you? Yeah,
0: you can just go back to I've not finished yet.
1: <laughs> <laughs> nice. I wasn't expecting that. Uh,
0: what what were you cool. expecting that? You were I don't know,
1: to... something cooked, like the perfect buttery fillet steak, or maybe not curry. I'd like you to say curry, obviously, because
0: I mean I, I do love, do love curry. But I mean no, I could yeah. give. A hundred answers for this. No, I like answer. food.
1: answer. It's, it's good. It's mm. good. I think I was probably just expecting something where more cooking was involved. Ah, okay. You know? yeah. Whereas actually that just shows though, it's not necessarily about the cooking. You love the quality of the product. Exactly. And the product sometimes can just stand on its own.
0: Exactly. And ultimately, I tell all our guys, like, we put a lot of skill in what we do, but we're nothing without quality product. Yeah. You can't, you know, you can't polish a turd. Yeah, essentially. Yeah, you know, we get bad product, and when you see chefs, whether it's online or television, they're adding loads to a dish or manipulating a piece of meat. It's generally because it's a bad product. Yeah, the best products you just got to cook, and yeah, the the farmers and the producers have done the hard work for us.
1: Yeah. Mm. Well, thank you for coming on the podcast, Paul. Thank you for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure, guys. Thanks for listening and/or watching another episode of uh, Founder Stories, and we'll see you in the next one.